take our Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. This weekend, we're remembering many who lost their lives as a result of the wickedness and destructiveness of sin manifested in pride and anger and false religions. Twenty years ago, many people lost their lives during the terrorist attacks on your way in this morning. You should have received a piece of paper with all the names of all the people who were killed on that day. It's interesting, especially considering many of the present things going on in our political world today that even the unborn children are listed on that list. Very small names. It says mother's name and unborn child. You think, how did we come so far from there that you know we would remember that child, but today we have a government that wants to sue the state over protecting unborn children. It's a sad world that we live in today. I wrestled with what the Lord would have us to look at this morning from His Word, what I should preach to you. I started and worked on about four different sermons this week, but each time the Lord led me back to this passage, which is where I planned for us to be a long time ago today. And I love how I think it's okay at times. The Lord does move you to look at something else. But the more I studied this and thought through this passage here in Acts 15, where we already were and scheduled to be, the more I saw how I believe the Lord would have us to be here today in Acts 15, looking at this church in Jerusalem who is having a disagreement with Gentile believers in Antioch and other places over the issue of circumcision. You say, well, how does that relate to us today? Well, that was a, an issue that had theological ramifications. Circumcision had, was part of the Old Testament commands given to the Jews. But it also had cultural significance to that day. Um, many of the issues that we face today in our country and in our world, they're cultural issues of our day, but they have theological importance. In other words, these aren't just political opinions. A lot wants to be, in our culture today, we want to move a lot into just, well, that's just your political opinion. These differences have scriptural, these are scriptural issues at play. And I think if we're going to be believers who are faithful to the Word of God and to walk in truth, then we need to be careful to know the truth, and to live the truth out in our lives. While today I'm not going to address every cultural issue of our day, while we will do that in time, I think it's important as a church that we remember our mission. This weekend's about remembering and not forgetting. And yet, I think a lot of us would say we live in a country that's clearly forgotten. Maybe they'll say the names, they'll talk about it a little bit, but they've forgotten why these things happened in the first place and what we were resolved to do after that time. And the divides have only grown wider and deeper since then. Some people say on September 12th, 2001, it was the most unified day in recent memory in our country. And only 20 years later, we can say that that day is far gone. The problem with this going on in our culture, one of the many big problems of this is it also bleeds into the church. Not only is our culture divided, the church is divided as well. Christians are divided. And often we see this as the devil's tactic in this world. He divides to conquer. Remember when Christ was accused of, being, doing, uh, of doing the devil's work? And he healed somebody and Christ looked at his accuser and he said, if a house be divided against itself, it cannot stand. These divides are important. They matter because a house divided against itself cannot stand. This morning, the message is not 
about America. It's about us as believers, about the church. In Acts 15, this was a church dealing with a big divide, a divisive issue. We looked at it starting last week, verses 1 through 12, and saw how they came together and they dealt with this. They, they deferred to the leading of the Word of God and to the working of the Spirit and all of that. But this morning, I want us to move through the rest of this division and see what took place after the division. Because often we may talk about a divide, we may talk about an issue, but the issue is not really resolved. In other words, we may get it out in the open, but then people are still upset. Their feelings are still ruffled, and, and there's no positive direction moving forward. I think as a, as a Christian, you and I need to know where we're going and what we're doing. We need to be reminded of our mission. We need to be reminded that while this world is divided, we as Christians have much to rejoice about and we have much to unite us. Because God has given us a mission. He's given us a purpose. He's given us a reason to live. He's given us a reason to serve Him. The church here, both the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch, returned back to this mission and this focus. And that's my challenge to us this morning, that we remember the mission that God has given to us. We've got seven big points for you today. Not a whole bunch of sub-points, a little point, just seven big ones. Really like a bullet list of things we as individuals and we as a church need to be doing if we're going to deal with the dissension and the division and the distractions around us in this world and if we're going to remain faithful to the mission that God has given for us to do. So you're going to have to listen quickly this morning because we're going to move quickly through these points. And a lot more could be said on every single one of them. But I love the example here in Acts 15, and I think it's really instructive to the world, to the culture, to the place that we find ourselves living in today. Let's look together at Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 13. It says, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. See, the church had come together. Paul and Barnabas had traveled in from Antioch. They were concerned about people saying, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. The issue was brought up in the church. It was dealt with. Peter gave testimony. Paul and Barnabas gave testimony. And finally, after everybody has had their say, James gets up. Who was James? Well, James here was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. We would think of him as the pastor of that church. He's also the author of the book of James later on in our New Testament. He's also the half-brother of Jesus Christ. In other words, Mary was both Jesus and James' biological mother, but we know Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, but it, Joseph was James' biological father. And James here is risen up in leadership in the church at Jerusalem, and so he gathers everybody together, and he says, Listen. Hearken to me, verse 14, Simeon, that's Simon Peter that he's referring to. He's using his Jewish name to a Jewish audience. That would make sense. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Simon Peter had told the story of how God had sent his spirit upon Cornelius and his household. There is Simon was preaching the gospel to them and the Holy Ghost came down and Cornelius and his family were saved and received the Holy Spirit. Simon had shared that story and James points out how Simon had rehearsed this before them, but also he said it was for the purpose to take out of them a people for his name. Don't miss the significance of this statement. The Jewish people were God's chosen people. They were known from the Old Testament as the people chosen for His name. And here James points out that it is not only the Jews who were a people chosen for His name, but that God also had some Gentiles that were chosen for His name. And I'm so thankful that He does. Because if He didn't have any Gentiles chosen for His name, then most of us wouldn't be here this morning. 
unless you're Jewish, and maybe some of you are. I don't know all of your history and family trees. But what a blessing to know that, they, that He came to the Gentiles and there were some to take out of them a people for His name. And then James goes back and it refers to the Old Testament. Verse 15 he says, And to this agree the words of the prophets. And here he's going to quote from the prophet Amos. As it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. And all the Gentiles, and here he says it again, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. James refers to Peter's testimony. He refers to the Old Testament prophets. And then James gives us this wonderful little verse, verse number 18, that is a great whole theology lesson packed into one verse of Scripture when he says, Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. God didn't save the Jews or, or choose the Jews as His chosen people. And then God didn't say, Oh no, some Gentiles are getting saved. What are we going to do about this? No, God knew that was going to happen. God wasn't surprised when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. God wasn't surprised when David sinned with Bathsheba. God wasn't surprised when the children of Israel were taken captivity or taken captive into the land of Babylon. God wasn't surprised when Jesus was crucified. It's all part of God's plan. And James points out, even from the beginning of the world, God has known all things. We serve a God who is omniscient. He knows all things. And James is pointing this out as a defense for why these Gentiles were now believers. God knew. Isn't it wonderful to know that God knew you even before He made this world? And God has such incredible thoughts towards us that He knows and He cares and He loves and He has a plan for your life. As we live through the days that we're in right now, we look around and say, what is going on? Listen, God knows it. He has a plan and He's working it out for His purpose. The day that we live in today may be an interesting day, maybe a frustrating day, maybe a difficult day, but it's not a day that is unknown to our God. There have been many difficult days, many frustrating, many hard days throughout history. We feel this one because we're living it. But we're not the first people to live through hard days. In fact, we, the, these days actually don't even hold a candle to some of the days in years gone by. Some of the days that even some of you have lived in your own lifetimes in places where you have been or served or worked. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. And here's what James says. Because of all this, because of the testimony of Simon Peter, because of the Old Testament prophets, because of the character of our God. He says, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. You see, this issue of circumcision was being used to distract and to deter the church from the mission that God had given to them to accomplish. Circumcision was being used as this test of spiritual and doctrinal purity. And James took the truth of God from the Old Testament he summarized the character of God. He took the testimony of Peter and his experience of seeing the Holy Spirit come upon Cornelius and his family. And he took all of this and he explained it to the people. Here's our first point in your bullet list. It's this. We need to be willing to talk about biblical issues openly in the church. A lot of times when they're 
are questions, when there are issues, when there are potential disagreements, we just try to pretend like they don't really exist. Or we just start to avoid those people that we disagree with. Or we just become less faithful to doing what God has called us to do because we have doubts, we have discouragements, we have fears, we have disagreements. If the church had allowed this issue to go unanswered, I believe we would see a very different church today. Why? Because this was the beginning. The church is just getting going, and now all of a sudden, the issue of circumcision. This historical issue, this cultural issue, this even political issue and religious issue now had the potential to divide and to distract them from the mission that God had given for them to carry out. I think it's important, and this church exemplified this all through chapter 15. They were willing to deal with the issues openly. What happens when we have a question or concern or problem or issue? Most time we try to hide it. We just go someplace else. I'm going to go away from conflict. I'm going to go away from having disagreement from anybody. And so what do most Christians do when struggle comes? They go and they hide in their hole. They go and separate themselves from society. Well, it's just, I'm just me and God, me and God. Then, then I won't have to disagree with anybody else. Listen, part of the mission of the church, as far as the Great Commission, can only best be accomplished through the local church. A lot of, I meet Christians all the time. And as far as I know, they're believers. I, I don't know their heart. But they won't participate with other believers in the work of God. They won't submit themselves to spiritual authority and walk in unity with other Christians because they have unanswered issues that they refuse to deal with openly. May we be a church that's willing to deal with the issues. More could be said, but I want to keep moving because there's so much here in this passage about how they were working through this issue. The second big idea, submit to God's word and to spiritual authority. It's so interesting after all of the discussion was had, after all of the opinions were given, after all the testimonies were shared, that ultimately when James gets up, he says, okay, well, here's what God says. Here's what the prophets taught us. Here's what the character of God is. Here's our experience with the Holy Spirit's leading. So here's what we're going to do. And we see the church submitted to it. Now, what's really interesting, and I don't want you to miss this point because it's really important. The Jews didn't stop circumcising. They just stopped requiring the Gentiles to do it. Say, so why is that important? Because I think there will be differences of opinion and differences of culture in even one local church where two people may continue to do things differently in certain areas of their life, but both can be submitted to the Word of God and be faithful to the mission that God has given them to do. I think that's really important because sometimes you think, well, if you're going to come be a part of our church, you've got to look exactly like me. You've got to do everything just like I do. And if you don't think exactly like I think in every single thing, then we can't serve God together. And that's not true. Because if that were true, this would be a very different situation in Acts 15. What we do see, and I'll get back to this more throughout the message, what we do see is a, a refocus, a remembrance, a unification of purpose, mission. What are we here to do? And what is distracting us from this mission? And what biblically is right? Because we want to be right. We want to be faithful. We want to be true. He's not compromising truth. But let's clarify the truth. Let's make sure it's right. And let's get back to what God has called us to do. So many churches today, so many people today are fighting over these peripheral issues. And they're real issues. Don't get me wrong. But while they're busy discussing and debating and fighting over these side issues, nobody is out sharing the gospel with anybody. Submit to God's word and to spiritual authority. We need to examine the issues through the lens of God's word. That's what they did. 
they were careful to examine the truth and to say, okay, what should we be doing here? What has God said? What is the character of God like? And that's what James did along with the other leaders in the church. We're not throwing out the word of God and doing whatever we want. We still must be faithful to God and to his word. This church, we don't need a church full of people bickering over secondary issues. We need a church that is an army united to do the work of God according to the will of God. Submit to God's word and to spiritual authority. The people came and they, they submitted themselves even under James's leadership. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a, a pastor's the dictator. He gets to do whatever he wants and everybody else just needs to support him no matter what because he's God's chosen person. That's not what we see here. James is clearly presenting the biblical position for why this should be done this way. And then we see the church unified behind him in following through on that biblical plan. God puts spiritual authority in our life for a reason. And you may come at times, you may say, Pastor, I, I, would, I would do this a little bit different, do this a little bit different. That's okay. And go ahead, do a little bit different. But let's be unified about our purpose of what we're here to do. Think about this. It, this happens. Kids, teens, this happens in your own house, right? Sometimes you have a disagreement with your brother, your sister. And you come in, you're like, well, he did this and she did that and they said this. And, and you're back and forth and you come to your mom or you come to your dad trying to get them to work this out. Or what more happens is you're over having this argument in another room and your parents are here. All right, come in here. Let's straighten this out, right? And you come in and, and you say, well, they said this. And it goes back and forth a little while. And then finally your mom or dad will say, okay. Here's what we need to do. You go here, you go there, you do this, you do that, and you go away and you're like, yeah, but they didn't quite get it all the way right. You know, they didn't quite understand. They really did hit me first. And you're like, they, they don't quite understand the issues at the same level that I'm passionate about those issues. Listen, submit yourself to the will of God and let's be faithful to the mission, right? Instead of fighting about your position and your place of importance, it happens at home, doesn't it, boys and girls? Has ever happened to you? Okay, it happens in my house, so I'm assuming it happens in some of your houses too. But parents, we do the same thing. Moms and dads, we do the same thing with our issues and disagreements with others, and we forget what we're there to accomplish anyway. And sometimes we sit down with our family and say, wait a minute, we're family here. We love each other. We're going to work together to figure this out. Well, I feel like I had to give more than they did. I, I worked harder than they did. It's okay. Don't do the same thing in the church, right? Come to church. Well, that person, get over it. Trust in the Lord. He's given you so much to be thankful for. And if all you had was Him and nobody else, you would still have enough, Amen. right? But we get so caught up. We need to submit to God's Word and to spiritual authority. Number three, this is an important thing that James did and the rest of the church. Clarify truth to carefully live obediently. When James is making the point that circumcision is not necessary for salvation, he doesn't then say, but you can just live however you want. He's careful to clarify the truth so that these new baby Christians, these new Gentile believers would know what was important. Think about this. How often in a church people come in and if all they had to go off of is what they see us doing or saying, how would they know what was important and what wasn't important? Because sometimes we end up doing things and talking about stuff and people dress different ways or talk about stuff and they're like, wow, that must be really important. And then you talk to somebody, you're like, no, that's not really a big deal to me. This is just how I do it. But I'm okay if somebody does it a little bit different way and you say, wow, I never even knew that. It's important that we clarify truth for people. And that's what James does here. Notice Back in our text, verse number 28, and he does this actually twice in the text, once as he's talking about it with the church of Jerusalem, and then a second time in the actual letter that goes to the church at Antioch. I'm going to read from the second time, but I would encourage you to go back and read from the first time as well. But he says in verse 28, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. He says there are some necessary things. And what are they? He gives four, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. He gives them four things. And I love it that he's careful to clarify. This wasn't just an arbitrary list that James 
and his buddies came up with. He says it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. They were careful to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't about personal preference. This was about the Holy Spirit's leading through the Word of God. I was having a conversation with some of the men. We, we have meeting on Saturday mornings, a group that's I'm teaching on systematic theology. If you want to join, let me know. Let James know. We can include you. We just had our first class yesterday. It's not too late to get in. But we were talking about how if I'm sharing the truth and somebody else is sharing the truth from the Word of God and we're both believers and walking with God, the Holy Spirit that's in you will resonate with the Holy Spirit that's in me and will resonate with the Word of God that was inspired by the Spirit of God. And together, we'll say, man, that's truth. That's exciting. I want to live that out. And that happens every time you sit around with other believers who are walking with God, if you're walking with God, and you talk about the Word of God. You get encouraged every single time that happens. But sometimes we're too busy for that. Sometimes we have other priorities. And we miss out on that wonderful blessing of having that spiritual encouragement as that resonance takes place of the Holy Spirit working through us. And what happened was, as the church here gathered together to deal with this issue, as the Word of God was presented, they were clearly able to see the Spirit of God giving them unity of mind and thought so that they were able then to go together and serve God together. So James isn't just saying, well, if we had it our way, this is what we'd want you to do. He says, no, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. And then he gives them the four things. He's careful to say, we're not trying to give you an unnecessary burden. Don't create spiritual hoops for other people to jump through that are not required by Scripture. Understand, in your walk with God, you didn't start out where you are today. You've known the Lord a long time. I hope you've grown. And some things that might used to be a struggle for you, and you see someone else trying to say, what's wrong with you? You need to fix this, 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 this. Yes, that might be true. But give them time, because it's taken you a long time. Be willing to give them some time to grow as well, right? Clarify truth to carefully live obediently. He clarifies. He wanted the Gentiles to clearly understand four different areas of importance. And you say, why did he pick these four areas? Well, these Gentile believers were primarily being saved out of pagan idolatry. Pagan idol worship in that day revolved around all kinds of horrific things. They were drinking blood. They were being involved in immoral acts that they considered part of worship. They would actually go down to the pagan temple and, and commit all kinds of wicked sins with other people and use that as worship of their God. There are all kinds of horrible things going on. And so James is careful to let them know, hey, you've been saved. You don't have to be circumcised, but God has called you to be a peculiar people. You need to step away from the idolatry and the idol worship and all of the things that go along with that culture. That would have been a tough thing to do, right? Because you know how it is in the culture. When your family gets together and has a party, the culture is there too. When you're at work and around the other people and you're, that you um, are, are part of your employment, the culture is there too. And so being a Christian now for these Gentile believers didn't mean going and being circumcised, but it did mean they were going to eat things differently than probably a lot of their family members and peers were eating. They were going to be drinking things different than what the culture around them was drinking. They were going to be enjoying different kinds of of pleasures, trying to follow spiritual uh, things and finding joy and happiness rather than the physical lustful pleasures that the, that the culture of the day was following after. It, it costs something to follow the Lord. But James was making it clear it doesn't cost you being circumcised. See, circumcision would identify them with a particular religion the Jewish religion. But these lifestyle choices would indicate something far greater than a religion. This is something that had changed them completely inside out, top to bottom. You see, we may face different cultural issues in our day today. 
I think the truth is the same. We need to clarify truth so people know how to live obediently in the culture that we live in. You shouldn't adopt everything in our culture and live it out and think it's okay. Well, I'm saved. I can just live however I want. That's not what James is saying here. I'm not trying to create unnecessary burdens, but we're still going to be faithful to the Word of God. Clarify truth to carefully live obedient. Number four, communicate that truth to other believers. Communicate that truth to other believers. James and the other church leaders, as they got together, they discussed this openly, and then they write this letter to the church at Antioch. But there's an important principle here. This will help you at work. This will help you in your marriage relationship. This will help you in your relationship with other believers. Notice, they didn't just write a letter. This was a divisive issue. They also sent two trusted people along with the letter to make sure that the intent of the letter was communicated clearly to the church at Antioch. An email is a great way to start a conversation. It's not a great way to have a conversation. You could avoid a lot of frustration in your personal relationships if you didn't just fire off an angry letter to somebody every time you don't like something that, that they do. Maybe you should hand deliver the letter and say, now let me explain to you why I said these things the way I did. Especially among believers. So, well, I don't know, that, that sounds too hard. That's very confrontational. Well, I think there was a reason they did this. Why? Because they weren't just interested in confronting them. They were also interested in reuniting with them for the purpose of carrying out the gospel. Interesting thought, right? Now, I understand we may, you may write a letter to your senator, and you can't always go with that letter. I get that. This is not a biblical mandate that you have to always go with your letter. The point is, if you really care about restoration and fellowship, then you need to go with it, have that conversation. And that's what they did. They were careful to communicate this truth to other believers. See, if a church doesn't understand clearly what it believes, if you don't understand what you believe and what your mission is and what you're here to do, then you won't do anything really effective for the work of God. It's interesting how proper motivation really helps us in our life, right? I mean, I remember when I worked in sales, I was say, well, how are we going to motivate you? I said, just pay me more. It's easy, right? <laughs> Money's an easy motivation for a lot of us, right? I'll give you more time off. No, I have enough time off. Just pay me more. You know, that's the motivation. At your house, you know, in the morning, you're trying to get the kids ready. Come on, kids, let's get ready. Get your stuff done. Get the work done. Then we're going to go out and go to the park and have some fun. Oh, yeah, we're motivated. Now we get, get something done. Get something accomplished. Hey, if I work hard today and I get my work done, I can get home and spend time with my family. That's a motivation. Hey, if we, if we go work out in the hot sun, then we're going to go swim in the pool and cool off. That's a motivation. Right? We have motivations for things, and that helps us. And we like to think, well, you shouldn't need any motivation. You just do it because it's right. Well, I'm glad for you, but I don't know anybody that lives like that in reality. We all like motivation. The church here had a biblical motivation. They were motivated by the mission that God had given for them to accomplish. And so because of that, as that truth was being communicated, they were able to live out that purpose in line with the Word of God and fulfilling the will of God. Communicate the truth. Number five, this is a simple point, but I think it's right here in our text. Own your part in the disagreement. Look at verse 24. In the letter <clears throat> that James writes, he says, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. James is careful to say, we didn't tell them to go out and tell you this, to, give, to tell you that you, weren't, that you had to be circumcised. But, yeah, they came from us. And he says certain came from us. I, I'm guessing James knew who these guys were. He knew who the ones were that went to Antioch and told him, hey, guys, you really should be circumcised. 
You know, clearly they were, they thought of themselves as Bible teachers because they came from Jerusalem to Antioch to teach them and instruct them in the truth. So they thought of themselves pretty highly. Probably they were Pharisees. So they were very well educated. And they go all the way up to Antioch. So they at least carried on this idea like, we're missionaries. We're doing the work of God. We're going where God wants us to, to go. And James says, listen, I know they came from us, but we didn't tell them to say that. Why does he take responsibility for it? Why should we take responsibility for our part in a disagreement? Well, as a church, we're a body. We're a family. Think about it. If, if my family comes over to your house and my kid, one of my children breaks one of your windows, then I bear some responsibility for that. Right? I can say, well, my, my child, maybe my child doesn't have the capability to pay for that window. So who should pay for it? Well, I should. Because I have a part in that because they're my child. Now, I understand everybody has their own ability to make choices. But I think it would help us as a church if we were willing to own our part in the disagreements. Why? Because as a body, we're a family. We work together. As a pastor, it's my job to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So if people are going out from here ill-equipped, or with the wrong focus, or doing the wrong thing, then I would say I'd bear some responsibility in that, wouldn't you? And I would say as a collective body, we all bear some responsibility in that. That doesn't mean that the people in Antioch were going to be mad at James. James wanted them to be clear. Listen, I'm sorry this happened. And they came from my church, and they did you wrong. But I want you to know we didn't tell them to do that, but now we're here going to make it right. James could have said, well, that's not our problem. That's those guys' problem. No, James said, we're going to own this. We're going to deal with this. Why? Because the mission mattered more than what other people thought about James or what people thought about the church of Jerusalem. The mission that God had given them was more important than what people thought of him. Own your part in the disagreement. Number six, live in unity with the body of Christ. And there's so much here we could spend time unpacking, but I just want you to follow along. I'm not going to read all of verses 22 to 33, but I, I copied and pasted these into my notes and I underlined a bunch of passages here. If you underline in your Bible, you might want to underline some of these things. I'll share them with you and right next to it, unity in the church, because that's what's taking place here. Notice in verse 22, I underlined this. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. This wasn't something James did on his own. It wasn't just something James and, and the deacons did. This was something the whole church did together. There's unity in the church. Look at verse 23. It says, And they wrote letters by them after this manner. Everybody got together to help in this letter writing process. Now probably there was one guy who penned it. But everybody, hey, do you like this? Do you agree with this? Is this how we should say it? Is this going to be helpful? Why? Because there was a focus on unity in the church. Notice the end of verse 23. It says, send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. He says, we're going to send greetings. That speaks to unity, right? But he says, send greetings to who? Who? The brethren. That's unity, right? They're calling these folks their brothers. There's another place. Just go down, verse 25. He says, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. There's unity again. We came together in one accord. Then jump down to verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. So not only were we unified together, all of us, we were also in unity with the Holy Spirit. Unity in the church. And then look at the final three words of verse 29. He says, fare ye well. We want the best for you. That's why we're doing this. We're willing to put ourselves out there. We're willing to apologize. We're willing to pay to send Silas and Judas all the way back to Antioch. This is a lot of traveling back and forth. Think about it. Did they have a church budget? Did people give in the offerings? Somebody have to pay for this? Where's that going to come from in the budget? Listen, if we don't have budget 
to deal with disagreements, then our budget's all messed up, right? We need to be unified in the church. We're taking care of these issues. Look at the middle of verse 31. It says, when they had read, this is the church at Antioch, they rejoiced for the consolation. There was joy because there's unity coming together in the church. And then look at the end of verse 33. It's the last place I underlined. They were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. The church at Antioch said, we agree and we're at peace. You can go home. It's all worked out. There's unity in the church. We need to live in unity with the body of Christ. And then the final point this morning is really the point that everything else builds up to. But without all the rest of the points, we would never get to this final point. But this is where we need to live day in and day out. We need to remember the mission of the church is to make disciples. I want you to, you say, why do you say that? Well, look at the last verse of this section. This is the last verse we're going to look at this morning, verse 35. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So after all of this back and forth, this trip to Jerusalem and back, the letters being written and read, the meetings in Jerusalem over this disagreement over circumcision, what did they continue to do? Well, they went right back to doing what they'd been doing prior to this. They went back to teaching the Word of God and preaching the truth. It's interesting to note. I looked up this word preach here in verse number 35. Now, there's more than one word in the Greek that are translated preach in our English Bible. The main word that's often used is the Greek word keruso which is the word to herald or to proclaim. It's what a messenger would do when he would bring a message from the king and he would stand up and he would proclaim it to the people. That's preaching. And we often think of that. That's kind of why I'm standing up here today. That's why I have a microphone on. You don't because I'm trying to proclaim this truth to you. But the word translated preach here is the word, the Greek word euangelion, which comes from the same root word that we get the word gospel. What this is indicating is yes, they were teaching the Word of God and they were evangelizing or preaching the gospel to the people. So after all this disagreement gets handled, did Paul and Barnabas get up and say, whew, sure am glad we're back from Jerusalem. Boy, those guys have a lot of problems down there. Just glad I'm here in Antioch where the gospel's really getting, where God's work is being done and you know, those guys, they're still going to keep circumcising if they want to circumcise and do whatever they want to do. These, these crazy people back in Jerusalem, I'm sure glad we're on the front lines of Christianity over here. We're really getting it done. No, they didn't spend time bad-mouthing the church of Jerusalem. They were rejoicing. There was unity. And they went out teaching and preaching the Word of God. We live in a culture that's divided, a country that's divided, a world that's divided. And there have been more issues piled on this week for us to divide over. And guess what? This next week, we'll probably have some more. My friends, we need to deal with those questions, those divisions, those questions. God's Word has answers. In fact, it has answers for everything. But we need to remember our mission. Remember what God put us here to do. There may be some people that we won't be able to come to agreement on the Word of God. Let them do what they're going to do, and let's go out and keep preaching Jesus. Let's go share the gospel. Let's not forget the mission of the church is to go and make disciples. A lot of things that are distracting us right now. Some people are facing losing jobs, rising inflation, so the money I have doesn't go as far as it did. It's going to affect people's ability to give to the Lord's work. It's going to affect all these things. And, you know, my time is going to be busier because I'm going to be rushing around trying to do this, that, and everything else. Hey, and all that, these are just the circumstances that God has chosen to place us in. Remember, He knew all of that from the beginning of the world. It's part of His plan. 
in that situation instead of saying, God, get me out of this problem. God, give me a better job where I don't have to work around people that disagree with me all the time. Say, Lord, how can I use this situation that you've put me in to be able to share the gospel? Lord, those neighbors, I don't like the sign for the guy they're supporting in their front yard. Help me to love them and see past the sign and go share the love of Christ with them. Well, I don't like the bumper stickers I see. I don't like hearing what I hear on TV. Listen, I don't either. We ought to take a stand for truth and righteousness, but in taking that stand, don't forget your mission. Don't forget what God has put us here to do. I think this, this is a great example for us. They taught, they preached the Word of God. And it says there, with many others also. You know, the church at Antioch, when Paul and Barnabas were sent out, as far as we can tell, it was really, really tiny. But now there's many others also. Well, where did they come from? Well, because somebody was being faithful to fulfill the Great Commission. Somebody was being faithful to do what God had commanded them to do. Listen, we live in a world that's messed up. We say, well, what are we going to do? We're going to go and continue to reach people with the gospel and continue to make disciples. So what should we do this morning? Well, I want to give you three things as we close that I would challenge you to do because there's a lot of struggle, a lot of issues, a lot of questions. And I would ask you to commit to do all three of these things. Number one, take your burden to the Lord. If you're like me, as you see and hear the things going on, you just get that knot in the pit of your stomach. What's going to happen next? What are we going to do about this? Take your burden to the Lord. Pray about it. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4. He said, be careful for nothing. And I think he meant nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then what does he say next? And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. Take your burdens to the Lord. Turn your TV off. Turn your phone off. Schedule your time in. Get alone. Go in a closet. Shut the door. Get in your bed. Pull the blankets over your head. Whatever you have to do, get alone with God. And take your burdens to Him. We're missing out on a great resource of power if we're not praying about these issues. And there's probably not even time this morning to really pray through these issues. You're going to have to schedule some time. You're going to have to take that TV show that you watch, and you're going to say, all right, for this hour, I'm just going to not watch that. I'm going to go pray about this issue. I'm going to ask God to give me direction here. I'm going to ask God to give me peace about this. Pray. Take your burdens to the Lord. Would you commit to do that this week? Number two, be willing to talk with other believers about your struggle with the issues. If you're trying to wrestle through things, guess what? So is everybody else in this room. God didn't put you on this world to have to struggle through all these things on your own. He gave you the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the family of God. The body of Christ. If you're trying to work through some of these issues and just not sure, I know, we, sometimes we don't like to talk about it because, well, people think I'm dumb, that I, I have these questions. No judgment for me. I'm not going to think you're dumb. Because I don't have all the answers yet in my own mind worked out. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out from the Word of God too. But if there's an issue that you have, would you let me know or let maybe your disciple or somebody know that you can talk through and say, hey, let's get together and talk about it. And you may talk to somebody else and they don't know either. Say, hey, two of us now don't know. Let's go find somebody else. And who knows? Maybe we'll end up with a sermon series with all the things we don't know. And let's try to figure But let's work it out. Would you be willing to talk about some of your struggles with the body of Christ? I'm not going to put you up on stage and make a big show. That's not what I'm going to do. We can handle it quietly, privately, one-on-one, two-on-two, whatever needs to be done. But let's talk about it. Let's, let's figure these things out because these issues, these potential disagreements are distracting you 
and me from the work that God has put us here to do. God didn't put us here to bicker about stuff and fight about things. God put us here to fulfill the mission of the Great Commission. And the final thing I would ask you to do, and I realize you may not get all this done in a week, but this is some good homework for us to work on. Number three, be committed to pray for and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Lord, who can I share the gospel with? Maybe that person that's really rubbing you the wrong way, it's because you spend so much time with them. It's because you have an opportunity to minister grace and truth and hope to them, the gospel to them that nobody else has. Lord, how can I show love? How can I help them? Maybe there's somebody you've been praying about inviting to open house Sunday. That'd be a good thing. You don't have to wait that long. They could get saved this week. You never know. Say, well, I've been trying for a long time. Don't give up. Remember, God's given you this purpose here to live. It's not your purpose to save people. It's your purpose to introduce them to the one who can save them. Don't, don't get discouraged because not everybody is as excited about following God as you are the first time you talk to Him. It might take them weeks, months, years, decades. But be faithful to remember the mission. There's a lot we're remembering this week, this weekend. But as a church, let's not forget what God put us here to do. And in the midst of all the divide and the division, may we be a shining light of unity and of love and of purpose as we live out what God has put us here to do. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, I've struggled with a lot of things in my own mind this week, as I'm sure many others have. Lord, you know the intent of this morning was not for us to show off and pretend that we know better, everybody else is foolish. Lord, even though sometimes you look at things and say, I don't even see the mental process that people are following. There's so much evil. And, and Lord, we acknowledge that evil is on the rise, but we know that Jesus always wins. Lord, this morning, help us to be refocused and reminded on your of your truth and be faithful to the mission that you've given us to do. Thank you for the example of these churches in Jerusalem and Antioch as they struggled through this issue and worked through it and then returned to the work of the gospel. We love you. We thank you for this wonderful group of believers here that gather with us, others who are joining us from afar. Lord, thank you for the blessing of serving with a body, with brothers and sisters. Help us not to neglect that. It's work. It takes effort. It takes commitment. Lord, let us do it for your honor and glory. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray.